All right, well, for some reason, on this gray day where I would normally want to take a nap, I cannot wait to share this word with you. Well, we're going through the gospel according to John, and it's going to take us almost a year. And this series we're calling Finding Life in Jesus' Name. And if you miss any of the messages so far, you can always go back and watch online or listen if you'd like. Uh, But this morning, we're going to be starting with John chapter 5. And so if you have a Bible or Bible app, you can start making your way to John chapter 5 if you'd like. But for the last several weeks, we've considered several one-on-one conversations between Jesus and individual people. And I I just, I've shared, I think this is a a fascinating aspect of John's gospel. Uh, Today, we, we head back south in geography to the city of Jerusalem and the healing of the man at Bethesda. And this is the third of seven miraculous signs that the the Apostle John, the author, gives us. And as we've said, Jesus did way more than seven miracles in his ministry. Uh, So the seven signs that John uh, reveals or records here in his gospel account are designed to be just like a sample of some of the miraculous parts of the ministry of Jesus. Uh, But each sign... I believe, is chosen to reveal to us a a little something different, a unique aspect of who Jesus is or what life is like in the kingdom where he is king. And so, uh, so far, we've had the sign of celebration of turning water into wine at this wedding feast in Cana. And then last week, we considered uh, a sign of healing in the healing of the official son, uh, again, from Cana. Well, today we have a sign of restoration in another healing, uh, but of a man this time, not a young boy, but a man at Bethesda in Jerusalem. So before we get into the text, I just have to ask a few questions. Have you ever lost something that was valuable to you? Maybe you feel you lost out on an opportunity that you could have had, or that you lost for whatever reason, some of your money, or some of your time, or your health, or, or something else. I have. In various ways, and in various seasons, I've lost things that I look back on and I have mixed emotions about. But one thing that I've noticed is sometimes these losses are our own fault. They're self-inflicted wounds. And then, accompanying those joyful experiences, come feelings of guilt or shame or embarrassment or regret that just kind of flood into our mind when we think about that which we lost. But other times, these losses are completely outside of our control. We were not at fault. We were perhaps even a victim of a terrible circumstance. And and there are different feelings that are associated with those types of losses. Feelings of bitterness or resentment, perhaps, at, at what we rightly see as something being stolen from us. Now, some of you are too, way too young to remember uh, the 1980s and earlier, uh, but back in the dark ages when seatbelts were optional and kids could sit in the back seat of a car or especially a station wagon, I don't know if you ever had that experience, and looking out the back windshield, it was, you know, before iPhones and, or even the DVD player in a car, 
that was all you had to do as a kid. There were no other options. You could read until you got car sick, but that looking out the back was the highlight, I think. So some of us today are stuck that way. Some of us today are stuck looking out the back window of our lives and looking at the past, even as we go forward into the future, perhaps considering all that we have lost or all that we would want to have restored if somehow we could make a way. Well, what can we do about these things? And what can we do uh, about, for the people in our lives who are experiencing these types of regrets? What, would, what do you think Jesus would have to say if he saw your view out the back window? Would he care? Could he restore what you have lost? Well, if you have your Bible or Bible app, please go to John 5, starting with verse 1. We'll put it up on the screens for you as well, if you'd like. But we're going to work through this, and we're going to pause along the way and just kind of unpack what we're seeing here. And I hope that in this text, I hope some of us will maybe start to turn around, look forward at what God might do in our future. Verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who, had, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Okay, so let's pause here, and let's recall that it is the Apostle John who is our author. Now, if you don't remember John's story, he was a young man when he started following Jesus, and he had a temper. His nickname was Son of Thunder, and he was a wild young man, as some of you are today. And so, but he started following Jesus, and John eventually became one of the closest friends of Jesus. Eventually, over the course of time, John only, not only became dear friends with Jesus, but he was so changed and so transformed by the gospel of the good news of his friend that by the end of his long life, he would become known as the apostle of love. <laughs> no longer a man of thunder. So do you think, given the little, bit, the little window, the little thumbnail sketch that we get of John's personality in the gospel accounts, do you think that there was a possibility that he might have had some regrets if he thought back through some of the experiences and some of the words that he shared with certain people, uh, certain choice words perhaps, uh, when he was a younger man? Now, I don't know, but probably he did. Probably John, as, as a, an old man, would have looked back through the back window and perhaps had some things that he wished that he could have restored. But it was this John who tells us that sometime after the healing of the official's son that we looked at last week, later on, Jesus went up in elevation to the city of Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals, he says. Now, it doesn't say specifically which festival it was, but we know from passages like Leviticus chapter 23 in the Old Testament of our Bibles that the Jewish people had been commanded, and I love this, to hold certain feasts and festivals together as a people. 
to celebrate. You better celebrate different things that I've done for you, says the Lord. And, and that's, I think that's pretty cool. Okay, this is the heart of God in, for his people to be together and to celebrate. To celebrate their love and their relationships with one another. To, to celebrate and, and praise the Lord for the good things that he has done for them as well. And his presence and power among them. Now, I kind of wish there were, we still had some commands to celebrate. Uh, but at any rate, the command was to eventually stop working constantly, rest, enjoy, and celebrate the blessings of God in your life. But as many people, so as many people as were able at this time, they, they would have made the journey to the city of Jerusalem and for this festival, and it would have been, just envision this, packed with people. Huge extended family reunions happening all over, all over the city and all around the surrounding area. Now, the sheep gate called Bethesda in Aramaic, John says, and that's the language that Jesus and his disciples would have spoken in this time and place. John says that it was here at Bethesda that a great number of, of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Now, I am not sure if you noticed this, but in verse 4, uh, verse 4 has become a footnote in the NIV translation of the Bible because only some of the manuscripts, uh, ancient manuscripts, include it. And so when there's a question on, a, on the original text, uh, it, sometimes the NIV will add a footnote saying that, but they've actually taken this verse out completely. Uh, but it provides a possible reason why all these disabled people were there. It says that these people waited for the moving of the waters because from time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. Now, uh, I read it because it, I think it is somewhat helpful in explaining later in our text in verse 7, which mentions a stirring of the water. Uh, but at any rate, this is why a, a great number of people with a great deal of loss were there. Losses of ability or mobility. I'm sure the losses of career or family in some cases. The loss of independence and autonomy in life. So John tells us that among all these people, there was a man who had actually been an invalid in some way for 38 years. Now we don't know why. We don't know what happened to this man. Other passages talk about someone with a certain condition from birth, but John doesn't say that here, and later Jesus implies that it hasn't always been this way for him. Perhaps he had an illness when he was little, or perhaps he had a, a work accident when he was a young man, or, or maybe something else happened and he never fully recovered. We don't know. But for 38 years, this was his life. Well, how might Jesus respond to him? Let's look, let's continue with verse six. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. When I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. 
At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Okay, let's, let's pause here once again. So, so when Jesus sees this man and, and learns about his condition, he doesn't immediately heal him. Now, why does, would Jesus respond in this way? <laughs> he actually asked something I think that's a, a little ex- unexpected to me. He asked him, do you want to get well? <laughs> well, wouldn't the answer be, of course, man at the Jewish festival, I would want to get, like, are you, are you making fun of me? Of course I do. Do you think I want to be here? So why do you think Jesus asked him? This seemingly obvious question. As I often say, the questions of Jesus are never about gaining information. They're always about revealing the heart. And he always then cuts right to the heart. Well, I think the answer is this. It's not always true that people want what's best for them. Some people would rather stay in the mess or the brokenness of their life then do the hard work necessary to result in change or growth. Some people would rather stay stuck than ask for help. Some people who struggle don't really want to get well. True healing, Jesus knows because he knows people, true healing that brings about true and godly change and growth and transformation has to start with a change of heart. A change of heart that includes a a change of your desires as well. Now, the biblical term for this is repentance. That might sound like a scary word, but to repent means to change your mind in a way that results in a change in the direction of your life. Literally, the Greek word means to turn around and go in the other direction. So what an insightful question of Jesus. Do you want to get well? Do you want to change? Do you want help? Sir, he says, now literally he says Lord, which is interesting because it's the same respectful title that the Father used of Jesus in our passage last week. Lord, I have nobody to help me. I can't get into the pool when the water is stirred. Someone always goes ahead of me. I have nobody here to help me. Now, this is heartbreaking to me. And not not only did this man lose his mobility and probably whatever career that he had, would have had, but he doesn't even at least recognize that he has a friend or family member who could help him into the pool for, for whatever healing properties that pool might contain, whether it was natural healing properties or supernatural properties, whether it was legitimately helpful or whether it was just superstitious, that's not the issue here. He doesn't have a friend to help. Now, whether it was his fault or not is also beside the point. John doesn't say, but Jesus immediately responds. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Well, what happens? At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. 38 years is nothing to Jesus. He doesn't need to get in a certain pool when it has been stirred in a certain way with Jesus. He doesn't even need other people's help. 
with Jesus. Because Jesus can heal. We know that already from John's gospel, but here we see a restoration. Jesus can restore what has been lost in an instant. Well, here, right in the middle of a busy gate, in a packed city, during festival time in Jerusalem, Jesus again does what only God can do. He performs yet another sign that reveals his glory and helps his disciples to put their faith and trust in him. Well, how would the people respond? These festivals are all about the the glory and the power of, of who God is and what he has accomplished in the past. Will this not result in just an outpouring of worship, like a revival in the city of Jerusalem? Look again at verse 9. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Okay, uh oh, that's, that's trouble for the future. <laughs> so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. What? Later, later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. And this is God's word. Okay, I love these. I love the <laughs> brevity of some of these stories in, in the Gospels. So, okay, we've got a sign of Jesus, but there's a problem with this sign. Because Jesus had the audacity to perform a miracle on the, on the Sabbath, which was Saturday in their day, or the Jewish day of rest. Now, the fifth of the Ten Commandments is to keep the Sabbath day holy. In other words, to work for six days, and on the seventh day... To stop or cease, that's what Sabbath means, to cease and rest and enjoy the blessings of God and worship him. So, but by the time of Jesus, the command to keep the Sabbath day holy to the Lord was taken way beyond a day of rest and worship and had become a long list of added commands of men which carefully defined just what exactly constituted work and what was allowed on the Sabbath. So the religious leaders had completely missed the point of the commandment to rest and worship and had made it, by this time, a purely legalistic religious box to check. And this man was not checking the box. So what do they find here? But there was a man who was carrying his mat, which violated their Sabbath rules. And so they confront him, and and he replies, listen, the man who made me well said, pick up your mat and walk. What else am I going to do, right? Okay. (laughs) It was the guy who healed me. He healed me. He told me to do this thing. I'm going to do the thing. Now, of course, the religious leaders are not satisfied by this because they want to know who healed him. And why? On the Sabbath. And so he doesn't have any idea. And I think this is a funny detail. I I think this is one of those eyewitness details. Because why would you make it up like this? Uh, Jesus heals the guy and slips away. (laughs) He's not ready, I think. I think he's not ready at this time for a confrontation publicly in Jerusalem with the religious leadership. But later he introduces himself. 
And so I, I just think that it's, this whole thing is unbelievable because there's this guy who has been in this condition for 38 years and some guy, some guy, I don't know, he comes in and he noticed me when so many others passed me by in the game. And this guy, he saw me when I was invisible to so many others. It, it was this, this guy gave me the dignity of talking with me and listening to me even before he healed me after 38 years. Now, I was surprised when I turned around, he was gone. I didn't even know who he was. And this story, it must have infuriated the religious leaders because legalistic people hate it when there are exceptions to their own man-made rules. And next week, we'll see that they launch an investigation that is sparked by this, this sign, this so-called Sabbath-breaking and the authority of Jesus. But, but for today, our passage just ends with Jesus later finding him, this man and introducing himself to him. So he experienced the healing and restoring power of Jesus even before he knew him. Incredible. Some of us actually have that testimony as well. Now, I think it's very telling that Jesus found the man in the temple. Did you remember that detail? He was healed. His mobility and maybe his very life had been restored. And what was the first thing that this man did? He walked or... I think he ran or went skipping or dancing or whatever he wanted to do all the way to the temple to give the thanks and praise to God. Now, we don't know anything else about this man, but I would guess that for 38 years, or perhaps nearly 38 years, he had been asking God to provide help or healing but now, in God's timing and in God's wisdom and according to his will, he was well. When Jesus found him in the temple, he said to him, see, you are well again. He was restored to health. He was restored back into community. He was restored back into purpose. But Jesus says, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now, this may trigger a question in your mind. Did, did the sin in his life cause this hardship, this affliction? Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that because of sin he had been an invalid. Later in John's Gospel, in John chapter 9, Jesus is very clear that not every illness or affliction is, has a moral or spiritual cause. Sometimes these conditions are simply a result of living life in a broken world. But sometimes, hardship, suffering, these things are caused by sin. Either way, again, whether it was, he was at fault or not, after serving his physical needs and, and most likely also helping his emotional and perhaps even financial needs as well, Jesus seeks to help him with his spiritual needs. Turn from your sin. Turn from your way. And turn to my way. It doesn't matter if it's been 38 years or 48 years or 58 years or longer. Anyone at any time can repent and be forgiven and turn and find new life and healing and restoration in Jesus. 
Now you might think, but how? How could this happen? How can I do this? How, how can I deal with all of that junk that I see out the back window? How might, how might I find restoration? Well, friends, in this passage, this man, our brother, serves as a great example to us today. The day that he met Jesus, the day that he heard the word of the Lord, for whatever reason, he decided to listen to Jesus and do what he said he should do. It's as simple as that. In a very similar way, if you remember last week, to the father in it, who took Jesus at his word. In the same way, this man, he heard Jesus, he believed him, and so he got up and picked up his mat and he walked in obedience to him. There's a blessing, friends, in obedience, in doing what Jesus says. Now, it's a common trap for Christians to fall into to think that learning more and more about God is the goal of the Christian life. And please don't get me wrong. I am all about Bible study, okay? I am all about learning theology and growing in our knowledge and our understanding of what is right, right doctrine. These things are good things. But knowledge, even theological knowledge, maybe perhaps especially theological knowledge, is not an end in itself. The Apostle Paul says that knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Or listen to James, the brother of Jesus, in James 1, verses 22 through 25. He writes, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Meaning forgetting the reality of yourself. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And friends, this is a really important principle for following Jesus. Because, to be clear, obedience to God's word is not the way of salvation. We're, we talk about that all the time here. We are not saved even by our own obedience or our own ability to avoid sin. But by faith alone in Christ alone. However, saving faith, as we have seen in John's gospel already, includes being born again born by the Spirit and receiving a new heart, a heart of flesh with new desires that include wanting, desiring to listen to and obey the teachings of Jesus. And so obedience to God's word isn't the way of salvation, but it is the way of the Christian life. So today, if you feel stuck, if you feel stuck looking out the back window of your life, Stuck looking back at your past, stuck looking at your losses, stuck in the things that you want to see restored. Turn today. Turn around. Go in a new direction. Repent and be forgiven and rise and pick up your mat and walk. Listen to Jesus and do what he says because his power and his authority to, to bring new life and healing and restoration is no different today than it was all those years ago.
Is it too hard a thing for Jesus to restore lost health or lost relationships or lost years in your life? But just imagine if our lives and our church would become known as a place of restoration. Not of judgment of the losses, but of encouragement and the ability to speak the truth in love as Jesus did and link arms with people and walk forward in healing and life and restoration. Would it not bring glory to Jesus today, even if, as it served as a sign of his glory in that day? Well, may we become known as people who love and work for and pray for restoration in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we are, we're a mess. <laughs> Lord, I confess, we are a mess. We have all sorts of needs, Lord, and you know them because you care for us. And yet, Lord, some of us at certain times in our lives have real difficulty in seeking help, in turning around, in following you, in, in wanting to be well again. And so, Lord, I just, I pray that you would, you would help us. You would, you would first forgive us for the struggle and sometimes our refusal to turn and follow you. But Lord Jesus, I thank you for your grace and your mercy and how gentle you are with us and how patient you are with us and how your desire for our lives is that either today or one day in your kingdom, we will be fully restored, made whole, fulfilled and satisfied in you. Lord Jesus, we long for that day and we look forward to that day. Not out the back window, we look forward to the future and all that you will do in and through us and out through us into this world around us. Lord Jesus, give us the faith and the hope to trust in your promises. It's in your great and powerful and mighty and beautiful name that we pray. Amen.